Tonight I want to talk about dealing with life when you get what you don't think you deserve. I know Mike Biggers, he's a really fine man, full of integrity. Didn't feel like he deserved what happened, but it happened. And we all have to deal with life when we don't get what we think we deserve. Sometimes we have to deal with life because we're getting exactly what we deserve. Uh, I heard a true story, and of course I always think it's funny when a preacher says, this is a true story, but uh, <laughs> happened in Seattle, and there's a guy there, he's got this giant motorhome, and he's inside, and he hears this wild sound outside. Now, uh, remember back in the days of uh gas rationing and and people were stealing gas by siphoning gas and what you do you stick the hose in the gas tank you suck the gas comes out you spit it out and then you put the hose in your tank and you steal somebody's gas well he goes outside of his rv and there's this 14 year old boy and he is laying on the ground violently retching and he sees a gas hose well, the problem is the boy didn't know on the RV there's the hole there for the gas and there's the hole there for the sewage tank. <laughs> and the owner decided not to press charges because he felt like, all right, he's got what he deserved. <laughs> so sometimes that happens. And most of us are fine with people getting what they deserve. The problem comes when people get what they don't deserve, and especially if that person is me. When we left Joseph, he was in a place he did not deserve. Jail. He'd done nothing wrong. He's been an honest employee, and rather than be guilty of the crime for which he was charged, he had in fact honored the marriage. Of the man who threw him in jail. And some of you understand. I'm guessing most of you haven't spent time in jail. But probably all of you have spent time in a cell. And what I mean by that metaphor is you have spent a season of your life in what felt like a prison that you didn't deserve. Maybe you did all the things the doctor said you were supposed to do and you still got cancer. Maybe your cell was a bankruptcy court because of issues you couldn't control or even an unethical business partner. Or maybe your cell was a divorce court Because somebody else wasn't faithful to the promise they made before you and God. Or maybe your cell was therapy for years of abuse in your family. Or all kinds of issues that came out of someone close to you that had substance abuse problems. I mean, you get the point. We could go on and on, but probably almost everyone here has had a season in life where you have suffered greatly and felt bound up by a situation you didn't create and you don't think you deserved it. So what you and I need are what I'm calling selling 
points. And that's going to be the theme of Genesis chapter 40, our next chapter in Joseph's life. I'm going to read most of the chapter, starting in verse 1. Now, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. And after they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. This theme of dreams just keeps weaving through this story. Now, each dream had a meaning of its own. And when Joseph came to them the next day, he saw they were dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, well, why are your faces so sad today? And we both had dreams, they answered. But there's no one to interpret them. Now, remember, again, in this culture, dreams are a big deal. You don't just have a dream and not try to understand what it meant. So Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed. And its clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes. And I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I put the cup in his hand. Now, this is what it means, Joseph said. The three branches are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, restore you to position. You'll put Pharaoh's cup in his hand as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. When all this goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness and mention me to Pharaoh. And let me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here... I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now, when the chief baker saw that the Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, well, I too had a dream. And on my head were three baskets of bread, and in the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Now, remember, we said Joseph has integrity. He speaks the truth. So this is what it means. The three baskets are three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials, and he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however... Did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. This theme just keeps weaving through his story. He does right. He gets done wrong. By his brothers. By Potiphar. By the chief cup bearer. And I don't know if you noticed. But throughout this text and narrative. There's a lot of indications. That this was over a season. It's not like. He had to be in a cell for 24 hours. Sometime later, it said in verse 1. After they had been in custody for some time, it says in verse 4. And the very first verse of the next chapter is going to say, When two full years had passed. See, Joseph spent the best years of his life in the worst place. 
We know he was 17 when he was taken down to Egypt. We know he was 30 when he finally gets out of prison. That's 13 years. Now, I don't know if it was like eight years in Potiphar's house and five years in prison. If it was two years in Potiphar's house and 11 years. We don't know. All I know is he spent his 20s in a cell. Now, most of us here have had the wisdom of time to think, man, if I could get my 20s back, I'd have been smarter. Remember the 20s? How cool the 20s were? You could take your shirt off at a swimming pool and nobody gagged. Remember when all your hair was the same color and it was on your head. It wasn't coming out of your ears. I mean, you don't want to spend the 20s in prison. But these years spent waiting weren't years wasted. The Hebrew songbook was called the Psalms. And they loved to write songs about their history. And in one of their songs, we read about Joseph. It's 105. He sent, I mean God, he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They brushed his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Your cell is a testing ground. So here's the principle. Don't fail time in a cell. It would have been easy for Joseph to sell his dream when he's in a sale. He could have thought, were my dreams just delusions? What good has it done me to be good? Does God have no jurisdiction in Egypt? Does God even care about me? See, the surprise is not that God would stick with Joseph. The surprise is that Joseph keeps sticking with God. And he didn't abandon God. Because, believe it or not, he didn't feel abandoned. Remember what it said in chapter 39? While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He understood that his testing ground was holy ground. And so what other people would call incarceration was really preparation for the dream. Joseph wasn't in prison as much as he was in boot camp. Because future ministry is often refined by present captivity. And that's actually a pretty deep statement, so I'm going to say it again. The awesome things you can do in the future for the kingdom of God are often getting prepared and refined by the cell you're in right now. You find that all through the Bible. There's Moses' time in the wilderness before he could lead the people out of Egypt. There's Elijah' time at that brook before he ever took on the prophets of Baal. Daniel in captivity. There's Paul in prison. Writing letters we still read. Or John in exile where he had a vision, a revelation that has rocked the world. 
Because the cell can't separate you from God. Only sin can do that. And so you don't waste the weight. You don't fail time in the cell. And I'm going to give you three things you can do if you're in a cell that will help. Here's number one. Emphasize instead of idolize. I've got to unpack that. Time in the cell tends to make a person self-absorbed. When you are in a cell, when you're in a season of life where you're suffering and it wasn't your fault, the tendency is to focus on yourself and throw a pity party in your honor. So it's significant, the very first recorded words of Joseph in prison worked about himself, but were focused on other people and how he could serve them which ironically is interesting because when they brought up the topic of dreams, he could have said, oh, I'm not going there. Last time we dealt with dreams, I got in trouble. The first thing God will test in the cell is the way you treat other people. Now, there's two extremes here you have to avoid. One is, you know, I'm in a time of hurt. I'm going to build a wall around myself and protect myself from people so I don't get hurt again. But the other extreme is to pedestalize other people and put your hope in them and make them your functional savior. You want to mess up your marriage? Make it the job of your mate to guarantee your happiness. Put them on that pedestal and expect them to be what only God can be in your life. You want to Embitter your children. Put the pressure on them to make you a happy person. Because whenever we take people and idolize them, make them our functional savior, we set ourselves up for tremendous disappointment. Because just like that chief cupbearer, they often forget. You don't idolize people. You strategize what you can do to serve people. You choose ministry over focusing on your misery. Because the cell is a great place to fill your empathy tank. One of my favorite words from Paul... 2 Corinthians 1. God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. Now watch. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God's given us. You thought about that? That God may have a bigger purpose for your cell than you can realize if all you're going to do is throw yourself a pity party. I'm going to ask you to be a little vulnerable right now. Would you hold up your hand if you or somebody in your family has been touched by cancer? Wow. Okay. Would you hold up your hand if you or someone in your family has been touched by divorce? Okay. 
Would you hold up your hand if you have ever gone through a season of tough financial distress? Okay. Question. Did you learn anything in the sale that could bless somebody else? Some of you are familiar with a movie that came out a few years ago. I think it was called Soul Surfer, and it's a story of Bethany Hamilton. She, at the age of 14, was attacked by a shark while she was surfing and lost an arm. And, of course, that's a tragedy you could say she did not deserve. But instead of being bitter, instead of being self-absorbed, she's turned that into an opportunity to do ministry. And she has this awesome quote. She says, I've had the chance to embrace more people with one arm than I ever could with two. So cancel the pity party and love the people in and around your cell. Because you don't even have to be released to release a blessing on somebody else. You empathize instead of idolize. That's selling point number one. Selling point number two. Wait instead of hate. God does not mass produce his saints. Attendance in the school of patient expectation is mandatory. Look again at one of their songs, the 37th. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Now, I want you to notice that the option... To waiting on the Lord is to start hating on other people who don't deserve their prosperity as far as you're concerned any more than you deserve your adversity. You ever done that? When you're in the cell, when you're somewhere you don't feel like you deserve, you find yourself starting to resent somebody else and thinking, how come they're getting blessed? They don't deserve it either. But it never turns out right for those who keep a record of wrongs. And staying bitter is never going to make you better, ever. Uh, There's a book called Lee, The Last Years, about the last chapter of the life of Robert E. Lee. And in that book, there's this great story. He's in Kentucky. And there's a woman there who has him to her home, and she takes him outside. And in the front, there's this magnificent tree that's just been uh, devastated by the consequences of federal artillery fire in the war. And she's complaining loudly, expecting Lee to sympathize with her. After a brief silence, Lee said, cut it down my dear madam, and forget it. Don't curse your offender. It won't help. Don't nurse your wound and make that your identity. But rehearse the dream. 
Keep in your mind God's call on you. And remember how much He's forgiven you. Your closed door might be a divine detour. Stay focused on God's faithfulness and determine, I'm not going to waste the wait. Because here's what the Word of the Lord says in chapter 5 of Romans. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Now, we usually don't, but we could. We could rejoice. Why? Because we know they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And I will tell you, God cares a whole lot more about your character than He does your comfort. Because He needs your witness in a world without Christ. And people of character have greater witness than people who have easy lives. So God's got to do a work in you so that he can do a work through you. And God refuses to rush his work. So wait instead of hate. And one more thing. Prepare instead of despair. Because God's tests today are preparing you for his opportunities tomorrow. And Joseph really doesn't even know what God is preparing him for. But every day he's talking to two people who are intimately connected to Pharaoh and the whole Egyptian political system. He's learning about that every day. And that's going to come in handy. He's running Pharaoh's prison. Which is good training for someday running Pharaoh's court. See, your present faithfulness in your cell is equipping you for future fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. Because there's this kingdom principle that Jesus taught. And it basically comes down to this. That if God can't trust you right now with what you've got to deal with, how can He trust you down the road with an even bigger responsibility? Jesus put it this way in Matthew 25. Because you were loyal with small things, I will let you care for much Greater things. His daddy told him to be in charge of the brothers and the flocks. And he was loyal. Potiphar said be in charge of the house. He was loyal. The warden said be in charge of the prison. He was loyal. At every stage he was loyal. He showed integrity. He handled where he was. With grace, wisdom, and integrity. Not realizing God's getting him ready for something so huge. You don't always see what God's preparing you for. That's why you have to live in faith. I thought of this just the other night. I'm channel surfing. My wife and my son are in Moore, Oklahoma on mission trip. So I have the TV. And I'm channel surfing. And I came to a movie, which is in the top five of all-time greatest movies ever, The Karate Kid. I mean, it is right up there with 
Gone with the Wind, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It is that good a movie. And you remember that scene where Daniel-san is going to learn how to do karate, and Mr. Miyagi is going to give him lessons, and he's so excited, and he shows up the first day, and what does Mr. Miyagi say? Wax the car. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Paint the fence. Up, down, up, down. Send the floor. Send, send. And after three days of this waiting, Daniel is so frustrated. What's all this about? And then he finds out that all this time he's been learning the very moves that make someone effective in karate. He learned to have faith in his master. God's going to take your test someday, and it's going to be your testimony. So maybe instead of asking God to get you out of yourself, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying maybe instead of asking God to get you out of your cell, you should ask God to use the cell to get the most out of you. Because cell time is a required course. You might as well try to pass it. And don't forget one more thing. If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, selling is a calling. A lot of people don't surrender to Jesus. They just want sell insurance. They don't really surrender. They just say, okay, God, I'll do the church thing. You promised to keep all the bad stuff away. That's not how it works. Dave Dravecki, another baseball player uh, had his career ended because of cancer he's a strong believer in Christ he said so he's given his testimony this lady comes up to him basically she implies well if you had enough faith you would never have gotten cancer because God doesn't want anyone to ever suffer and he writes and he says is that right is that what God wants he said cancer introduced me to suffering suffering is what strengthened my faith the woman implied I was suffering because I didn't have enough faith She seemed to be saying, have enough faith, get the life you want. But that struck me as making God into some kind of cosmic vending machine where if you push the right button, you get a sweet life, free of suffering. Then he says this. Someone once said the difference between American Christianity and Christianity as it's practiced in the rest of the world has to do with how each views suffering. In America, Christians pray for the burden of suffering to be lifted from their backs. And in the rest of the world, Christians pray for stronger backs so they can bear their suffering. When you came to Christ, you know he had scars, didn't you? And here's what the scripture says in 1 Peter. A person might have to suffer even when it is unfair. But if he thinks of God and can stand the pain, God is pleased. Why? Watch. This is what you were called to do. Because Christ suffered for you and gave you an example to follow. So you should do as he did. You understand that? If you're a Christian, selling is a calling. We're imitating Christ. So don't sell the call. Accept the call in the sale. And remember that God's going to remember, even if everybody else forgets. I'll give you a very tangible example of this principle before I dismiss you. There's a sweet lady in our church who was abandoned by her husband after over 40 years of marriage for someone else. 
And then later in his life, he began to show signs of dementia. And the person he left his wife for left him. And so she remarried him because someone had to take care of him. She did not deserve herself. But she accepted a calling. That's not fair. No. But neither is grace. Grace has God given us what we will never, ever deserve. And it's available even in a cell. And so maybe it's time to ask God to do some prison ministry with you. So, Father, would you uh, give us the heart today and the ears to hear and to accept what you want us to grow from tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.